0: Hi everyone, welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yes Like Rockadopolis.
1: And I'm Lance Rockadopolis.
0: And today we're gonna to talk about objectification. But first, a shout out to Austin, Texas, home of UT Austin, and the academic home of one of my favorite feminist philosophers, Kathleen Stock. Professor Stock, if you're listening, Welcome to the United States. I watch you on YouTube all the time, and I'm so grateful for your voice of reason. All I really care about with that issue is reason.
1: <laughs> and a shout out to Houston, Texas, my hometown for a whole year while I was getting co-op experience.
0: So in our latest episode, we talked about subjectivity and about my subject formation. In this episode, we'll talk about Lance as an object. In a previous episode, we did discuss the negative aspects of objectification at some length. And so now we're gonna talk about positive or at least welcomed aspects of objectification. So first we'll talk about non-kinky examples. Then we'll talk about consensual kinky objectification And finally, we'll talk about objectification and spirituality. So we'll start with beauty pageants. Beauty pageants are interesting because they're clearly an objectification of women. And on the other hand, they do provide benefits to the contestants that can help the contestants get a lot of power through college scholarships, making professional connections, making faster progress in their chosen careers. Another example would be dressing to impress. Obviously, we don't wear clothes just to be protected from the elements. Clothes are, of course, used rhetorically in all kinds of ways. And some clothes are meant to signify power, like an expensive business suit. Some clothes are worn to a bar to indicate that we're there to find someone to hook up with. Some clothes even work as a kind of virtue signaling, like, for example, athletic wear, the biking clothes that we see all the time in Colorado. To me, they heavily signify privilege, but also self-mastery and self-respect. They irritate the shit out of me because that privilege often manifests in them taking up a lot of the space on the mountain roads and they remind me of the Orange Marches in Northern Ireland and other parts of the British Commonwealth, when members of the Irish Protestant men's clubs parade through the streets in the province of Ulster and also in various British Commonwealth countries. What's ironic here is that both groups are self-objectifying. The cyclists are doing it largely to transform their bodies and maintain acceptable shapes. They often make themselves the center of attention on mountain roads because they force cars to swerve out of their way. I despise them. But I bet not as much as Irish Catholics have traditionally hated the Orange Men. Another way of being objectified is to be someone's goal. And this goes back to the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan Pretty sure we talked about this at some point in the podcast when we were talking about the phallic narrative. The idea is that the subject is essentially a penis looking for a vagina to come in. And yes, this idea is all very sexist and heteronormative, but it can also be life affirming and motivating and pleasurable for both the subject and the object.
1: I just think that when it comes to FLRs and partners finding each other, the script should be flipped and that the dominant woman should be the subject and the submissive man the object. It is much more of a demonstration of her empowerment and confidence for a woman to ask a man on a date than vice versa. There is far more power in being able to pursue someone rather than to choose from what options are being presented to you. It's also a huge time saver. In general, submissive men are shy and need a little confidence boost to make the first move and ask a woman out. It might take a while. He might approach you in a way that gives you mixed signals. So asking him directly would speed things along. Femdom sitting back and not being the aggressor in the relationship makes no sense to me. hmm
0: And I feel highly disinclined to be the one to make the first move. Because as a woman, I know that there is a lot of power in being able to select among several options. That said, I did actually make the first move with Lance, no matter what he says. Um, And I also made the second move. And I also post one ads on a semi-regular basis with a clear list of what I am and am not looking for. And the responses are 99.99% what I'm not looking for. So even though I put myself out there and I'm very clear in expressing what I'm looking for, the vast majority of responses are basically complete non sequiturs. But as the activists say, I ain't in no ways tired. I feel no obstruction.
1: You're not discouraged.
0: I am in no ways discouraged or put off from my quest to have four slave husbands. Another example of objectification is wearing a gimp suit. A gimp suit is a full body cat suit made of rubber or latex or sometimes leather that has the effect of erasing a person's individual identity.
1: I personally love the effect it had on you. The first time that I wore my GIMP suit, you were much more direct and harsh.
0: What did I do that was so harsh?
1: You were much more physical. You were pushing me around much more than you ordinarily do. It even worked when I just put on the GIMP mask.
0: How did it make you feel?
1: I had the wonderful feeling of being your animal so to speak yours to direct and control it also gave me a strong sense of helplessness that in particular was wonderful i felt like i was completely in your control i no longer felt like a person or at least that you didn't think of me as a person
0: so basically the gimp suit triggered something in my mind Mm -hmm. as well as in yours think so yeah that's cool So I found a New York Post article from 2003 about a man who wore a gimp suit to see the comedy of errors at Shakespeare's New Globe Theater in London, which we plan to visit within the next few weeks. And I remember seeing that play years and years ago, and I don't see any reason why a gimp suit would be an inappropriate thing to wear to any of Shakespeare's comedies, actually. Some of them are pretty raunchy if you know how to interpret Elizabethan language and all of its various um, homophones. Is that a word? (laughs) Homo something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the article did state that he was a groundling. He was in the area uh, in front of the stage where you have to stand up for the entire production The ticket is super cheap for the groundlings. It was five pounds when I was there. I think it's 10 pounds now. But it's really uncomfortable. I was there for Antony and Cleopatra. It was four fucking hours long. Um,
1: That's interesting. So the cheap seats are way up front as opposed to in the back where all the, like, benches are.
0: Yeah, they're just not seats, though. Yeah. Yeah, and I even tried to, like, sit down on the ground, and immediately someone comes and rousts you. And probably that's for, like, um, you know, fire hazard stuff. Um, Anyway, it was very uncomfortable, but I'll never forget it. The thing about that, it was, it was four fucking hours, and at the end... Oh, and it was an all-male cast, which was really interesting, so Cleopatra was a man. But at the end... There we are standing there, exhausted, and then all of the actors do this dance, right? Extremely aerobic, extremely powerful. They're all men, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're like really strong, really powerful after four hours of like running around the stage. And this really, really intense, aerobic, jumping up in the air, really fast dance for like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was really impressive, That place is incredible. Can't wait to go again.
1: Another form of objectification is the whole clothed female, nude male scenario or situation. And I'm not talking about it as a form of exhibitionism, which it clearly is. And that's why people enjoy it from that perspective. But in the context of objectification, it's a stripping of identity. And there is a loss of security where there's no ability to hide. When we do it in private, I'm making my body available for whatever he's like has in mind. It's also fun to do in public as well. And I do feel very vulnerable. We went to a local club where they had a femdom event. It was an event where the bottoms or submissives have an opportunity to be introduced to female identifying tops and vice versa.
0: Female identifying tops.
1: I enjoyed it. I love the concept. It was an event where the bottoms or submissives have an opportunity to be introduced to femdoms and the femdoms to be introduced to subs. The submissives are introduced one by one. This is done in like a catwalk or beauty pageant fashion for the femdoms to choose who they want to play with that night. Even though I didn't participate, it was fun to watch a bunch of naked men presenting themselves to a group of clothed women explaining who they were and what their personalities were like. Like I mentioned, it was really like a pageant or a slave auction where they basically had to demean themselves a little bit. They really didn't have to be naked, but many of them chose to be. Another form of getting naked is shaving. There is a psychological component to being shaved, and I'm speaking about shaving of the head. The military shaves heads to foster more of a group mentality in their trainees, In ancient Greece and Babylonia, long hair was a symbol of economic and social power, while a shaved head was a sign of a slave. In the BDSM community, shaving a submissive or a slave's head is used to demonstrate powerlessness or submission to the will of the dominant.
0: So there's also bodybuilding as a form of objectification, This is largely pragmatic for my purposes. The longer Lance lives and remains physically strong and fit, the more I can get out of him. The more work, but also the more love and companionship.
1: I did start working out for the aesthetics so that I would be pleasing to the eye of my master. But I have also found that there's a strong mental component to working out. It has trained me to get passed through mental blocks or limitations on what I can do physically. So that knowledge of nutrition and helping you with your workouts um, are ways that you've used me. And that's definitely welcome. So in addition to looking good, that overcoming mental barriers in working out, it makes me basically able to do more stuff for you like lifting a kayak into my truck so we can go on our trips
0: does that also include tolerating pain in a play session
1: yes indeed pain and discomfort is something that can be controlled with mindfulness and meditation
0: so there can also be a strong spiritual element to bdsm for a lot of people and this is really coincidental Buddhism has come up as a topic for both of these episodes. In the previous episode, we talked about how my exposure in childhood to a specific type of Tibetan Buddhism shaped my subjectivity in significant ways. But I also see more direct connections. In my 30s, I went on a 10-day Vipassana Buddhist meditation retreat that was... um, Really, really challenging. It really kicked my ass. It was 10 days of meditation, 14 hours a day of sitting on a cushion and just trying to feel sensations on the surface of your body. And so basically you're sitting there scanning about a two and a half inch square piece of the surface of your body, up and down, up and down every day. And the idea of this form of Buddhist meditation is that you start to let go of layers of craving and aversion that are the substance basically of your sense of self or of what some people might call your ego, which is according to this style of Buddhism, basically made of a kind of puff pastry dough from hell. And just so you know, I did actually give up on day seven. I went to the meditation hall. I sat there. I mean, I was stuck there out in Western Colorado. <laughs> wasn't going to be able to go anywhere. So I couldn't leave the retreat, which you're really not supposed to do. But instead of doing the body scans... I spent the rest of my cushion time fantasizing about going back in time to the late 80s and getting a business degree at UCLA and getting rich off of tech stocks and fucking one of my old boyfriends. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty much the opposite of what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, Because Vipassana has to be one of the most masochistic religious practices of all time. It could be right up there with hanging yourself on hooks. But I have to wonder if I had a more submissive, open mind frame or personality, you know, or sexual orientation, I might have had an easier time. But anyway, there are a fair amount of kinksters on the Internet who practice Buddhism, doms and subs.
1: Yeah, one that comes to mind and has been written about is in that book that I mentioned on a couple of occasions, Beyond Obedience. It is a book about the spiritual process some in the lifestyle, be they master or slave, go through. And about the realization that for some, it is a very spiritual calling. It describes that BDSM can be the path to spiritual growth, but it is filled with a lot of food for thought. It's a book about the spiritual process some people in the lifestyle, be they master or slave, go through, and about the realization that for some it's a spiritual calling. They use a term called born slave, although they say that words can't really define the spiritual nature that it is intended to represent. It's like into a spiritual evolutionary benchmark and a relationship between the slave and the universe. Having an objective of becoming a born slave is an impediment to becoming a born slave. It's very similar to goal-seeking nirvana. The fatal barrier is desire. You're desiring to achieve enlightenment or some kind of spiritual growth.
0: Yeah, so that would be like an equivalent to craving.
1: Quote, birth of the slave occurs when we have accepted all that life has to teach us. In my understanding, birth is the moment where there is a profound change in the way that the slave sees itself and its relationship with the universe and the world. The slave realizes that obedience is not only important, but is exactly what the slave wants. It is an alignment of the master's will to the slave's will. The book talks about the slave finding and becoming a part of his master. They object to the term property. So, if you speak about a Slave being property, that would imply that the slave is other than or separate from and not part of the master. So the slave gives up his own will and adopts the will of his master, or more accurately, once the slave finds the master, the two become complete. So, in summary, they are basically advocating worship of another person. Also, it seems to me that the book is against the concept of free will. It states that born slaves are predestined to be slaves and owned by their master. But it does give, like I said, food for thought as to what really is meant by the depth and breadth of the word obedience.
0: So, obviously, the objectification of Lance in our relationship is pragmatic as well as kinky, though in some ways the pragmatism makes it even kinkier because it's not just role play it's actually subjugation that just happens to be fully consensual I can and do really use Lance for his skill sets which are physical and mental but while I'm quite happy to make use of all of his personal resources his intelligence his open-mindedness his ability to carry heavy bags (laughs) It's part of my role to be able to balance my use of his power with his need to feel powerless. There are times when I need him to be powerful, and sometimes there can be a sort of a slip in the dynamic where it kind of feels like to you, Lance, that I'm giving up power, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to remind me, right. no, you're the powerful one. So it's really my role to balance my use of his power with his need to feel powerless. And that can be pretty fucking counterintuitive if I overthink it, because ultimately, all this is really just a leap of faith. So thank you very much for joining us today. In the next episode, we'll discuss a topic inspired by the conservative YouTuber Matt Walsh, who... In his very kink-shamey way, suggested to his kinky viewers, and I'll assume I'm not the only one, that we ask ourselves why we do kink. And so that's what we're going to do. So until then, have a great week. ¶¶